Do you think you may have a problem with your alcohol consumption or drug use? Are you thinking about quitting and want to know what all the sober hype is about? Whatever the reason, I'm so grateful you're here with me today. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of Sober Gratitudes. I once was an active alcoholic, and after decades of failed attempts to control my drinking, I finally reached out for help. Letting others help me is why I'm here today, living a life I never thought possible. The suffering of my past was the catalyst I needed to find recovery and be receptive to healing. I created this podcast out of the desire to recover out loud and, with the help of my guests, show you how a better life is possible after addiction. Whether you have been here before or you are a first-time listener, I would be so grateful if you would take a moment to write a review on Apple Podcasts so that it can reach more people who may be struggling. Together, we can help those in need. You can also reach me at SoberGratitudes at gmail.com with any questions or comments. Thank you again for dropping in today, and welcome to Sober Gratitudes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Sober Gratitudes podcast is proud to come together and partner with Valor Fitness Clothing in our mutual mission to support and encourage the recovering community. Based in Los Angeles and inspired by real recovery, Valor Fitness lives up to its mission. With one item sold, Valor Fitness donates one item to a homeless shelter or transitional rehab facility. Because Valor Fitness Clothing supports Sober Gratitude's mission, everyone can receive a discount when shopping. Use the code GRATITUDE20 at checkout. Also, every guest on my podcast will be graciously given a gift certificate from Valor. We're stronger together when we come together. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to Sober Gratitudes. My name is Sarah, and I am the creator and host of this podcast. I'm so happy you're here with us today for what's going to be a really fun episode, a really serious, we're going to keep it really serious, Chris. We're going to like cry, and we're going to be... <laughs> Thanks for having me. I don't know about crying, but uh, I no, I'm going to get you to cry. That's my goal. Yet? That's my goal today is to get you to cry. <laughs> Good luck. We've known each other now. How long? Just about two years. That's right. Cause, Cause you I, just, yeah, I, I came in in June of uh, 19. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we met and talked for the first time, you had a couple months under your belt, right? Honest. Um, not even probably like four to six weeks, four, six, four, six weeks, maybe, maybe, maybe eight weeks tops. Like it was funny because my image of you was very prim and pro proper from the meetings. And then the first time I got on the phone with you, you're cursing like a, like a sailor. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, this isn't what, this isn't what I, what I thought you were like. But I like that because you, like you were real, you are real, you know, and, and, you know, and, and uh, so that, that was good for me. That was good too, you know, just, uh, 
to have uh, have you just uh, you know you weren't this stuffy you know stuffy person that way you were just a regular person like me you know and uh you, thought, you thought i was a stuffy person no not stuffy <laughs> but i just i remember seeing you at meetings and you look very you know you're very well put together obviously and you look and i remember you sharing at meetings and i was i just remember thinking well she's very well put together this this woman and uh and, and you are you are don't get me wrong but no, it was just funny and different it was different it was different than than uh than i expected because you're on the phone you're like you know, like cursing like a sailor, and I'm like, uh, "You curse on this podcast? You probably do." Yes, right? I was just right, podcast. Yeah, you're like, "Fuck yeah. this, fuck that," you know, and you know, and, and I was like, so it just like I needed that in that moment too early on. You know, I needed somebody to talk to me like a like regular, a sail, like a sailor. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much like a sailor, because that that's that's how I talk. So these two sailors met. Yeah. <laughs> two years ago, so, and and the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> So, um, Chris, you, how long was your drinking career? Um, well, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because I, I mean, I, I started, my first drunk was at 14 and then I started, you know, I didn't drink again until I was the summer before my senior year of, um, high school. Um, so, I mean, I, I drank pretty much regularly from 17 on, um, but it, there were ebbs and flows with, you know, when, you know, like it wasn't always, it, it, it became a train wreck in the last few years. What made it go from just, you are a social drinker. Like I'm assuming you, you weren't, it wasn't a problem until like the last couple of no. years. Like, yeah. So I, I mean, I party, I drank, I drank hard in college, but like, to me, that was just what you did, you know, right. and there were no consequences. I didn't have any consequences. I never got in any trouble or anything like that you know, I graduated, I, you know, so it just, to me, I just had a typical sort of college, quote unquote, partying life, you know, um, and then I graduated, and I started working, I was in my 20s, I was single, and I was still partying very hard, and I was like, drink, drinking very hard, and, uh, and it was just alcohol, um, no, no other drugs or anything like that, and I, but I had this, this attitude about life, like work hard and play hard, so I would, I was just all into my career and my work, but then when I was off, like, we, uh, my friends and I, and most of them were people I worked with, you know, we, we drank heavy and we partied and we got crazy and, and all that sort of stuff. And that was kind of, I, I, I lived like that for a number of years in my twenties. Then I wound up meeting my wife when I was 28, getting married at 30. Uh, <clears throat> my older son was born when I was 31 and I, and I, all that stopped, you know, and it just kind of stopped by the, well, I, it stopped by default because I needed you know, I, I just needed to, you know, I was, I needed to focus on, on being a parent and being a husband and, you know, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I was still very involved with my career, very into my career. And, um, my wife had stopped working when my older son was born. So, uh, I had to pick up a second job. So I just was, it just, you know, and I, and I was sick of the partying at that point. I was, you know, I was like 30, 31. I was like, I, I didn't, I didn't want to, drink like I did in my 20s at that point so I spent a good probably 15 years 14 15 years where I just was a social drinker you know I really didn't drink that much I'd have one beer with dinner sometimes I'd go out with friends maybe two or three times a year to dinner have a few drinks like I, I just and I lived like that through my 30s into my early 40s and when I look back on it it's, it's becoming clearer and clearer um, I was dealing with a lot of stuff over that over the years from in from in my 20s through my 30s both 
a lot of it was personal stuff, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, family stuff and, you know, uh, family members with addiction, um, family members with health issues, you know, um, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of stuff that a lot of us deal with, you know, but it's not, not unique to me, but, um, but I was dealing with all that. And I was always, um, at the same time, my, my career, I worked in law enforcement for 25 years. So my career was, was a very stressful career. And I was exposed to a lot of, um, a lot of negativity. But I'll, I'll say that, you know, um, exposed to a lot of negativity. It's kind of the nature of, of the job, you know. Um, so through the years, I was always seen as like the rock, like with my family and, and like, like I was always seen as like, oh, Chris is the one that will give the advice. And that, that was my role. I give the advice. I solve the problems. I, you know, um, you know, am the one that has it all together while everybody else around me is kind of falling apart. Um, and then the nature of my job, you know, uh, was to solve other people's problems. You know, people call the police and, uh, and because not because they're having a great day, you know, because something's going wrong and, 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 and you need to go and solve their problems. So I spent so many years just solving feel or feeling like I was just solving problems and solving, and I had to be this rock. So I realized now I was stuffing a lot of emotional stuff down, um, through the years. And then, uh, what happened in 2016 specifically in 2016 my father who i was close with he passed away and then five weeks later my mother-in-law passed away and it was just like this one-two punch and something just kind of triggered me and i just um i just uh kind of i i just got this fuck it attitude like i just was like i didn't care anymore i just i needed there was that ha that had to all come out it was like 15, 20 years of, of stuff that just had to come out. So it came out in, in me trying to escape through alcohol. And I did, you know, and I did that for a lot of years. And I, um, I just started drinking, drinking like I was in college again, going out with friends to the bars, not coming home from work after work, going to the local uh, bars and just drinking all night long. Never, you know, get, get home at four in the morning. I mean, I just was, I was worse probably then than I was in my twenties. Not probably, definitely. Um, and so, like I said, I, you know, I didn't realize I was self-destructing at the time, but if I look back on it, I, I think that's, that's kind of how I look at it. That's what happened was it just, it was like this volcano that was just simmering and simmering and simmering underneath the surface. And then it just eventually it had to come out and it came out with me just wanting to escape through alcohol. Yeah. And what was your last drunk like? Um, it was a bender, uh, for a few days. Um, I, uh, it was June of 2019, two years ago. Um, and I had, you know, when I talk about, you know, I'd gone through a lot of personal stuff. One of the things that I had gone through was, um, within one year, the year prior to me getting uh, sober, within one year, I had two friends of mine commit suicide that I worked with. Um, and one of, one of, one of them was a very close friend for like 25 years. So, um, my last drunk was kind of like this bender. Like, so, uh, my second friend committed suicide, um, in June of 2019. And it just, again, it was like, everything was cumulative, you know, like all this stuff was just throughout my whole life was happening. And then when, when my second, when my second friend committed suicide, you know, 10 months later, 
I just, it just was, I, you know, it just was so hard to deal with, you know? And um, so I remember going to the wake, um, going to his wake and then I left and I didn't come home till like five in the morning. I just was out drinking. And I don't remember if I went to work the next day or not. If I did, I, I just slogged through on a few hours sleep. I don't remember. But but I basically, if I did go to work, I probably, I think I started drinking probably that afternoon at, um, you know, uh, uh, at work because the last few years I had an office job and an, an administrative role. So I wasn't, you know, I was working in an office. Um, you know, I wasn't out, out on the, the street. Um, and then that next night, I just drank my face off. The next night I just drank my face off. I wound up losing the, the, the night after his wake, <clears throat> I went to a, a city uh, near us, um, Jersey city. And I just went by myself and I just went to these bars and I just was drinking my face off and I lost my car. Um, <clears throat> I say lost because like, I guess it got stolen, but it just, it was never, it just literally just disappeared. Like it just, and I was went back the next day. I went back two days later. I checked the, called the tow yards, called the police. It just, it was never to this day, never found. So I don't know what happened to that car, but maybe it was God protecting me from getting behind the wheel, you know, um, and, and killing myself or, or somebody else, God forbid. Um, so I, I, that happened the day after the wake and then I got a rental car. So that was an, that was a claim on my insurance. Obviously <clears throat> I filed a, a report that my car was stolen. That was a claim on my, in, in, for my, uh, on my insurance policy. So then the, I get a rental car and then I go out drinking my face off, driving the rental car around. And the night before I came into, I went to my first uh, recovery meeting, um, I, I cracked up the rental car. Like I, and I barely remember this, but I, I like sideswiped, I don't even know where it was. I sideswiped a bunch of parked cars, kept going. And then, so now I, that was another insurance claim three days later on the rental car, all the cost of that. So now I, that was kind of what did it for me. Like I woke up that next morning, it was a Friday morning, it was June 7th. And uh, I woke up and, and realized um, um, I need help. Cause I had tried to stop, you know, like a lot of people's, talk about you know I experienced that I tried to stop on my own you know in those few years prior and I would stop for a month two months three months you know um but I can never stay stopped but this time was different this time this time you and let's talk about that because for me what I have found is that people who find themselves in a place of complete and utter desperation are usually the ones that are motivated, like internally motivated right. to, um, or some kind of higher power is motivating them sure. to surrender, to just let go. And do you feel like, it sounds like that that's where you were at. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was fear. I mean, I was, I, I was like, I, it just, I just woke up with this feeling of dread and complete fear. Like I'm going to kill myself or I'm going to, God forbid, I'm going to kill somebody on the road, driving drunk. And it was just fear. And I'm going to, I, that I was just going to, I was destroying, I was destroying my life and I was going to, it was not going to, it was going to end bad, either me dead or in prison. Um, you, so you could see that, that that was something that was like clearly like so apparent to you in that it moment. Hit me, it, hit, it hit me that moment when I woke up. So I do look back on that now as a God moment. I do look back on that as a spiritual experience 
you know, I look back at, I look back on that as my first of, of a bunch since I've been in recovery, mm -hmm. but that was the first one. I mean, I, you know, cause I can't explain what, what was different that day. You know, um, I don't know. I just, I just knew, I don't know. It just was, um, that's why I feel like it was a spiritual experience and it was God. It was, I knew I, I just, something was different. And I said, I need help. I can't, all this stuff about me telling me that, and I didn't know anything about all the stuff that we talk about, like, oh, we, you know, that we have a disease that, you know, talks to us on our own voice. I didn't, I wasn't in recovery, so I didn't know any of that. Now I can look back and I see all that happened, that, that happened with me, you know, th through that last, pretty much that last year, year and a half. I can see all that, but at the time I didn't know that. I didn't know any of that stuff. I'd never been to uh, any type of a, a recovery meeting and, you know, hadn't been to the steps, obviously. And, uh, did you know, Chris, when you got to that, when you were at that, that moment of like, I can't do this anymore, did you go to a detox or a rehab? No, I didn't need to go to a, no, I, well, I, I didn't know, I didn't need to go to a detox. So I'll say that whether or not I would have benefited from a rehab, um, I guess is debatable, but, uh, um, but I didn't, uh, I didn't need to go, like I was, I never detoxed. I never went through withdrawals from not drinking. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, I didn't, um you know, uh, yeah, it wasn't, I never went through that. So, um, I so just, it was like, I a, went like you a, went on, on, like you op opened your laptop and looked up recovery meetings. I was in, yeah, I was in, I was in bed and, uh, and I went on my phone and, and, uh, um, and I just started, I just Googled, uh, I Googled AA meetings near me. Um, I Googled that and, uh, the closest ones were, now this was like 10 o'clock in the morning. The closest ones were like six, seven o'clock at night, right near my house. But I was so nervous that I was going to kind of like ch chicken out and not go. Like if I had that much time to think about it, I, or I would convince myself I, I, I didn't need to go. Mm. I found one at 1215 and um, that was a little bit further away from my house, but it was sooner. And I, I just knew, I said, I, I need to go to this one. I need to get to one as soon as possible. And uh, lo and behold, um, that, you know, that uh, was where we, we met originally. Awesome. And so when you walked into that room, what was that experience like? Oh, it was nerve wracking. Yeah. <laughs> it was nerve wracking. I was so, I was so, Oh my God, I was so nervous and I didn't know what to expect. I didn't, I just was so nervous. Um, but what happened? Oh, well, what happened was everybody was so welcoming and everybody was so nice. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I wasn't used to people being that nice, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, I'll go back to what I did for a living. I mean, I, you know, I, I, and I worked in a pretty urban area, so very urban area. So I, I mean, I, I was not, I was used to, you know, my whole life, it was just a lot of conflict and people not wanting me there and, you know, and confrontational, just the nature of what I did for a living. Um, and I just, it was, this was like the total opposite. Everybody was so nice, so welcoming. There was one guy that actually gave me a, a, a hug and said that he was glad I was here. Um, and I just was like, I, it was just was like this very, it was overwhelming, but in a good way. You know, it was like, I just was stunned. I was like, what's going on? Why are they so nice? Like, you know? Um, so it was just, uh, but I'll tell you what, that, that made all the difference in the world. I mean, that, that's what got me to come back the next day. What has your life been like now that you have been sober? Well, it's only gotten better, you know, um, 
so obviously you know the you know and i learned and i've i've learned this and i'm still learning this in in, in early recovery you know life on life's terms i mean I, I still have a lot of the same stressors you know and you and you know that uh, that i had before i came into recovery but what's what's happened is i've learned how to how to deal with it without turning to alcohol and to numb to numb myself through it um and you know i also you know, I, I say this a lot too, like, you know, those first few months, like I said earlier, those first few months, I, I really just had to focus on just not picking up a drink when I got agitated and angry, which was a lot. Um, but after a few months, it I, and this was another, I say, like kind of like a spiritual experience. I did my first uh, speaker meeting where I spoke at a meeting. This Again, this is pre-pandemic, so it was a regular meeting in person. And I spoke for the first time and told my story and I was nervous um about doing that and it went it went really well and um and then i say i say this for me what I, ever since i did that that was i think in september so it was a couple months in ever since i did that the obsession to drink was lifted and i can't explain that either i don't know i don't know why i just um you know i uh i just didn't i noticed i started noticing I was getting angry and agitated at stuff, but I, I wasn't thinking about drinking. I didn't want to drink. And I wouldn't even realize until the next day. So like I'd be, I might get pissed about something. And then the next day I, I it would dawn on me. I'd like, I didn't even think about drinking when I was like, and it was crazy. So, but it was, it was so, it was just great. You know? So that was another, you know, kind of big moment for me in the early recovery, you know, that obsession to drink was lifted a few months in. But I, I say this too, and you'll hear a lot of people say this, obviously, of course, you doing this podcast, you talk to so many people, you know, the hard work really started then for me, you yeah. know, like it, it was like, I thought not picking up a drink at the beginning was hard and it was, listen, I'm not taking away from that. It was really hard. And, and that emotional roller coaster was really hard, but it was a different kind of hard, you know, then, then I had to start really looking at myself and my thinking and who I was and that, and how I thought and, 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 and that was real. And now I'm still working on that. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'll spend a lifetime working on it, but that was, that was when I started um, really putting the work into changing how I thought about life and the world and people mm -hmm. and trying to rewire my brain, which is still an ongoing process. Yeah. So, so you, you, the obsession to drink was lifted. Miracle. And then now you've been working on you, you know, peeling the, the layers, right? And so, yep. so tell me about how that's been like. What, how has life changed since you've been it, really uncovering Chris? It's calmer because I'm calmer. You know, like I, you know, I, I went through the steps. I, I, I started the steps that fall, you know, um, probably about six months or so in. Um, I started the steps with my sponsor. I went through the steps. It took me about a year and a half to get to get, get through the steps. I, I kind of just did them for me. I, it was just, or I just did them organically. I didn't, I didn't, I just did them as I did them. And it just organically kind of happened over a year and a half where I got through the steps. Um, and, uh, um, and with my sponsor and everything like that. And I thought that I, I did that. Um, but you know, with that, as as we know, comes the hard, the hard 
thing that we have to do is really take a look at our character defects and what our role is in, in uh, you know, any conflicts we have with other people or resentments we have towards other people, what our role it is in it. So it really forced me, the step work really forced me to look at myself. And, you know, and I realized that, um, excuse me, uh, one of, uh, you know, one of my big character defects was anger and not being uh, patient, you know, just being impatient and, you know, uh, being judgmental. And, and I, mean, I mean, listen, there was a lot, a lot of character. I realized I had more character defects than I thought, but, uh, but, but it was good, you know, like I, um, uh, I just started learning to not react so impulsively, you know, like if I would get angry, I would learn, I, and, and, and I'm still, I still work at it, you know, but I mean that restraint of pen and tongue, you know, and, and these days, um, you know, it, it's, probably more so restraint of text and tongue, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> but I, I just, um, it's, I'm, I'm calmer. I'm more mellow. So like, I'm not, and, and I still have my moments, you know, obviously I'm human, but I, um, overall, I feel like that's the kind of trajectory that I'm on. Like I'm, I'm not, I don't get as worked up, uh, you know, worked up as quickly as bad as I would if I, you know, I do have my moments where I, I do get worked up and I get pissed and I whatever, but I don't stay, I don't allow myself to stay in those moments. But I, that's what I really work at. You know, I, I work at that, you know, it's because that's not my natural state, you know. It must be so more calmer, calmer, calmer. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and if I had to pick one word for, you know, how it's been and how it's changed, calmer. Yeah. Yeah, you were a real spaz when I first met you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, when I first met you, I could tell you, you were so willing. You were like, like you just wanted to figure out how to just be relieved of like the shackles. Like I could just tell right from the beginning that you were just I, I like, was. I just don't want to be enchained anymore. Yeah, you know, and I, that gift of desperation. I mean, I, you know, it, I definitely had it. I was, I was pretty much like, tell me what to do. Tell mm -hmm. me what, like, tell me what to do. Yeah. You know? um, so, so has it been worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was just telling somebody the other day, I, I love being sober. Like I, you know, another, listen, another thing that, you know, you hear a lot and I definitely felt that was when, when you come in first come into and, and get sober and come into recovery is you have that, that fear of how am I, you know, my, how am I going to have fun? Right. You know, without alcohol, you know, so I definitely felt, I felt that I was like, oh my God, how am I going to have fun ever again? If I, if I can't drink, you know, cause that's all that, that all the fun stuff kind of, most of it revolved around drinking, you know? Right. Um, and, you know, and I realized now two years later, I kind of laugh at that because I realized now two years later, you know, you know, so much, you know, somewhat, I realize now that that's just, obviously it's not true. Um, but, uh, you know, I love, I love being sober. I love that I, my life isn't that chaotic mess that it was. It had become for so many years. <clears throat> a good friend of mine in the program that has a little bit more time than I do, when I first came in and we started to become friends, he said to me, he said, where you're, where you're at in six months, you're not going to be able to imagine it. And then when you're at six months, you're not going to be able to imagine where you're at at one year you're mm -hmm. gonna and, and then we're at one year you're not gonna imagine where you're at at two years and and i i see what he means you know mm -hmm. but again it's like i said with um with that 
you know, earlier about picking up the phone and, and make, and instead of picking up a drink, um, you know, you, people can tell you that to your blue in the face, but until you start experiencing that and seeing that for yourself, at least for me, you know, that's really, that's what kept me coming and keeps me coming is I, everything everyone's told me has kind of happened pretty much. Mm -hmm. And you've been willing from the beginning, just as my perspective is like, you're one of those people that, you know, because you were so desperate, really wanted to be relieved of the shackles um, of the drink and the bondage of self, et cetera, et cetera. And basically saying like, tell me what to do. I'll do it. And then, and then you share, you, you say like, listen, I did this and it works and I feel better. You just have to kind of let go of your will and trust other people, you know, and, and what they're telling you. And, and you've, you've been such an example of just really being like, yeah, fucking tell me what to do and I'll do it. And, and, um, and you take, you, you take suggestions and you do it and you take, take a look at yourself. So it's, it's been such a, it's been awesome to watch you change over the past couple of years. And, but you still have that, that, um, that willingness every day that willingness to take a look at yourself and see what, what do I need to do to um, continue to grow along spiritual lines. And that's something that's really unique. That's, that's a hard place to put yourself. um, Especially when, you know, it makes, for me, I know it's like you, you kind of present as not you personally, but in general, it's like you, you're raw, you're vulnerable, you know, and, and that can be scary, but that's really where the, the, the growth comes from. Yeah, it, it, it definitely, it, yeah, if I didn't have that willingness, I don't, I, I just, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have stayed sober. I, because, you know, also for me, you know, um, so much of what I did for a living was intertwined with, like, it just had be, like, it, it just, I don't know how to say it, but, um, you know, what I did for a living made me suspicious of everybody. I didn't trust people. I, you know, I, I didn't trust anybody because you were, you were trained not to trust anybody, you know, in my line of work, you know? So, um, you know, so I, I, I was always spent my whole life very suspicious of people, very suspicious of people's motives. You know, why does this person want to, want to help me? Why is this person being so nice? Um, you know, I didn't trust people. Um, and I had to, I had to really force myself to overcome that and kind of just, like you said, kind of just open myself and just say, you know what, um, whatever, man, like, just tell me what to do. And, but, uh, no, it was, it, it was definitely, it was definitely hard, but, uh, obviously so worth it, you know, um, because if I didn't do that, I don't, I don't think I would have, uh, I don't think I would still be sober now, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. I'm psyched for you. And you just went through a big, um, surgery. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had, um, a pretty major spinal surgery. It was like a seven hour surgery, um, on my neck. I used a lot of the stuff that I learned in recovery, um, you know, to kind of help me get through what was a difficult time just physically, you know, and, and then also mentally, you know, um, I couldn't, um, in the beginning I couldn't, you know, I've, I still have weakness in my left arm, but I, uh, I wasn't able to lift my left arm up uh, higher than my shoulder and touch my head. Um, and then eventually when I was able to to do that, it was like a big deal. And so like it, you know, and I, I shared this, I think at yesterday's meeting, um, 
that we were on. Uh, you know, I gratitude. You know, it makes you it makes you grateful for the little things. You know that you realize that. You know, um, you know, just just being able to touch your head with your hand. <laughs> you know, like who would have thought? Like I. I that, that would have been a big deal for me and i'd be like oh my god this is great i can touch my head with like which i can do now you know but um but i wouldn't have had that that attitude if it wasn't for recovery i would have been very negative i would have been like just just in a dark i know because that's how i live my life yeah. you know yeah having a good attitude when when you're going through significant health issues if you're in the hospital for whatever reason and um, or you're dealing with a sickness or a chronic illness, I think attitude is huge. And <clears throat> the program of recovery that we work, it's a design for living. And so it's like very helpful in, right. in teaching us, like you said, how to cope with difficult situations. And if we have a piss poor attitude about like, you know, being prone for several weeks in the hospital as you're recovering from something, it's not going to help the recovery process. It's going to slow it. Um, at least that, that's just my, I guess, personal opinion. No, I agree. I think, yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, I, I, it's my opinion too, but I think it's also been, been, I, I'm certainly no scientist or anything like that, but I mean, I think there's definitely, it's been researched the connection between mental health and physical health. I mean, you know, I always say this, like if you're in pain, it's hard to be in a good mood, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really, but you know, I had one day that was a very depressing, dark day for me where um, it kind of was a, it kind of changed everything for me because I, I spent the whole day just in a really dark place, depressed. And, um, and then I, I, I don't know what happened. I just, I just had to kick myself and say, and I realized that that 70% of my recovery was going to be mental. You know, the physical recovery, you know, was going to and is still going to come as it comes, you know, and there's certain things I can do to kind of help that along, which I've been doing. But, you know, 70 percent of the recovery for me, you know, I, I, I felt like I said it's, it's mental, you know, I have to keep mm -hmm. my head in a good place. Yeah. You know, and so that was important to me. But again, something I have to work at, like it's not my natural default state to be positive. You know? Right. Right. But it gets easier. I mean, that's my, yeah. my, you know, my experience has been, it's like, I have new defaults that are more positive than from when I first came to the program. So that's, right. that's like the beauty, the beauty of, of long-term sobriety. <clears throat> it's just that these new defaults occur and it just makes life a lot easier to live. That's right. awesome. Yeah. And I still feel like I'm such an infant in sobriety and recovery, you know, I, I, so I still feel like I have such a long way to go and, which is, which is good, you know, but, um, you know, I, uh, I definitely, I definitely, you know, I can definitely see that, um, that, uh, the change is for the better, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and, and who I am and, and how I react to the world and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, but I, you know, I have, uh, definitely have a way to go. <laughs> You know? well, you, yeah, well, you've, you've come so far and I'm just so psyched that you, because I asked you to be my, on my podcast a while ago, it was too soon. And, and you, you sought me out and said, I'm ready now. And that's so great. And I think that's a, you know, it's a sign of how far you have come that, um, you know, it is hard in the beginning when we first get sober, there's a lot of shame. And I know that, like I work with women who are 
you know, and I, pe- women uh, and men reach out to me who are very ashamed. They feel such shame because they can't k- get their drinking under control. Right. And, and I get that. I mean, I totally get that because for years, I, like you said, Chris too, it's like you, I wanted to, you know, control my drinking my way. I wanted to try to stop my way and it, and it never really worked. Uh, well, the big, the big lie is you think you can, right. You know, I mean, from like, you think you can get like, I, I thought before I came into recovery there, I, I just, you know, I kept doing the same thing with the same results. I kept stopping, mm-hmm. convincing myself that I wasn't going to drink anymore. And then slowly after, after a period of time, whether it was one month or two months or three months, I would, I would start you know, uh, the disease in me would start convincing me that, you know what, you start making those deals with yourself. You know what, um, I'll just stay away from shots and I'll be good. I won't get crazy because I get crazy when I do shots. So I just, I just won't do shots or, you know, um, I'll just drink when I go out with friends. I won't drink at home alone. Uh, you know, you start making these, I, mean, I did, you know, I can't speak yeah. for anybody else, but, you know, obviously we hear this a lot in, in recovery. You know, a lot of people talk about this and it certainly was the case for me, you know, um, I would make all these deals with myself and bargain with myself in my head. And then after a few months, you know, we have that built in forgetter where we forget how bad it was getting, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I felt that I, I, I mean, that, that happened with me, you know, and, um, and then next thing you know, you're like, ah, I can have a beer, right. you know, it's just, I have a beer too. It's not going to be like it was. Right. You think it's going to be different. Yeah. You like I would different. Do and this time I, it'll be different. This time yeah. I won't drink a 30 pack. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, uh-huh. 60 not, pack. Not back 15 <laughs> shots after, after that. You know, I, yeah, you know, like that, um, that's the, that's the big lie, you know, yeah. but you don't know, you don't learn about all that stuff until you come into recovery. You right. know, like you don't learn, you know, you know, once you hear other, that's the beauty of, 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 of going into recovery and going to meetings is you hear other people that you share the same type of stories and feelings and everyone's mm-hmm. story is different, obviously, but like, you know, um, this the very similar experiences. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing for me too, is when I, <clears throat> when I went, started going to my first few meetings, I saw, you know, all walks of life. I mean, you know, didn't, you know, I, I saw that the disease doesn't discriminate, you know, it doesn't matter how much money you have, what color you are, what religion you belong to. It doesn't matter, you know, um, how educated you are. Um, it, it doesn't discriminate and it kind of hit home for me, you know? Um, and then, you know, I, I would, so you hear, you go to meetings for me, one way that I benefit from meetings is, you, you know, reminds me that, that I'm not alone, you know, mm-hmm. you hear other people tell their stories and you hear them, um, you know, say the same, say things that you're like, oh my God, that was, that was me. That's what I thought. That's what I, I thought that. That's exactly, I did that, you know? And it's like, and so that, you know, I think that creates a natural bond, you know, when you have shared experiences, I think with any group of people, when yeah. you have shared experiences, you know, you, you develop a bond, you know? And I, and I, I felt that, you know, um, and I felt it pretty quickly. Cause I saw it, I saw it right away. My first meeting, I saw it. I was like, I remember the first meeting, every share I was like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, that's me. Holy shit, that's me. I, I remember. Yeah, that's you know, great that so. you could do that. A lot of people compare rather than identify and that makes it more difficult to, to get to a recovered state. So um, Chris, what do you do for fun now? Or is your life really boring? Like life really is boring, right? 
Like yeah, I mean, <clears throat> no, la- no laughter anymore. <laughs> Nothing's joyful. Yeah, I mean, you know, this pandemic, my God. But uh, I feel like life's finally starting to get back to normal. Um, you know, I uh, I play music. You know, you know, I play I play music. I write music. Um, when I got sober, I also started a band. Um, I um, I'm a drummer first and foremost, but I also play guitar and I and I write music and. Um, and so I, I kind of, that, that's what I do for fun. I, I, I play music, I write music, I record music. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, and then uh, of course, you know, just, um, you know, spending time with my kids and, you know, just, you know, it's, it's a, kind of a tough question that these days, because coming out of this pandemic, it's like, it's, you know, it's a weird, it's like, usually you could, an- I could feel like I could easily answer like, what do I do for fun? But like, it's been you, such you a did. stagnant, it's been such a stagnant year and a half, you know? Yeah. Um, but well, uh, no, like, it, like me, like, like I, there's a lot of things I do for fun. And during the pandemic, like I hear, like, I was just listening to a, a part of a podcast and the, and the, they were complaining about COVID and, <clears throat> and saying like, it was such a, a shit ass year and it sucked and you know like all this negative stuff about the pit and i don't know i <laughs> i didn't mind it like i i mean yeah it sucked like it sucked because people died and there was a lot of shit going down that was ugly but you know i had control i could turn off the tv i i could right. you know read books or spend more quality time with my kids or you know there's things that you can do that um, that are fun that for, for me at least, like I, nothing else was fun in the world except for drinking. So now it's like everything I do, like doing this right now, I'm having yeah. a blast. You know, right. this is yeah. fun. <laughs> well, it also gave you, I think it, it also gave you, the pandemic gave you an opportunity to kind of dive into this a little bit more, no? The, the well, no, actually before. initially I, I kind of, uh, I, it was in March into April, I stopped interviewing because I was getting my kids settled. Like we were right. just kind of adjusting to this new way of living and new way of do- doing school. And once right. they were settled and we were in that routine, then I started to pick up episodes again. Um, but yeah, my recovery changed a lot too. Cause I, I got involved with groups all like across the country and, um, met some yeah, amazing people all over the world so it's been a, it's been a grand year for that yeah and that's the thing is like it's it's like how do you it's all boils down to how do you look at it you know i mean yeah. for me it gave me an opportunity i really don't i couldn't play with my band anymore you know i, I play drums in, in the band and i um you know i couldn't you know we had to take a pause but i um what i did was i started writing acoustic music and at home and by myself and recording acoustic music and doing you know pretty much like a one-stop shop of of everything and just uh um you know and i and i dove into that i dove into my songwriting you know and uh and started and my acoustic music is more mellow um than what i do with my band so it was it was a great outlet because for me because it was more my acoustic music is more personal it's more mellow mm-hmm. uh and um so it's like yeah it's like how do you you know you could look at all the it's like how do you how do you look at it you could look at it like and and nobody's like you said obviously nobody's discounting how horrible covid 
is and was, you know, and how many people died and, and, and got sick and all that sort of stuff, you know, but, but uh, for me, for me, you know, yeah, I, I look at it like I, I, I dove into my recovery more too. You know, my, I dove into my yeah. music and my recovery. I mean, I was, I was doing two meetings, sometimes three meetings a day in the early pandemic. Yeah. Um, I mean, I probably did two, definitely two back-to-back 90 and 90s, um, more yeah. than that. You know I mean? Yeah. So I dove, you know, on Zoom, you yeah. know, so I dove, I dove into my recovery um, more than I was able, because I, I wasn't working, you know, I haven't worked since the pandemic hit. Um, so I dove into my recovery and I kind of immersed myself in that um and and my music so Mm -hmm. it's like you said it's like you know you can you can have a pissy attitude you know and there were days i did you know Mm -hmm. um but you know overall like you you know you that's what we do we try to work on our thinking you know and right and we're not perfect we're gonna have be pissy right and i say that too all the time it's like you know like that was a big thing for me like when i first came into recovery i thought i had to do everything perfectly i thought i had to be like like this very you know um i would see people with, with like you know 20 30 years and they just seemed like like these zen people and i was like i want to be like that like i'm not like i'm so i'm i'm so fucking crazy like i want to be like that i, I you know i don't want to you know lose my shit over every little thing and you know i'm about to start yelling and screaming like i want to be like that and so then I, you know, and I, and I had to catch myself because in early recovery, I would pressure myself to, to do everything perfectly, you know, and, um, and that was another thing that took time. Like, you know, I, I, my sponsor always, always would say to me is, um, you know, put the bat down, you know, cause I would beat myself up if I didn't do everything perfectly, how I perceived it to be perfect, perfect, mm-hmm. uh, in sobriety, you know, so it took me, you know, probably over, it was really this past year where I started learning to cut myself a break, you know, and that I'm, and accept, acceptance, I, I, you know, accepting that I, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be like a monk, this Zen-like monk that never gets aggravated or irritated or jealous or, you know, that's just not like, so I, for me, I allow myself to feel all those emotions because I'm human. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is what got me in trouble in the first place. I was, I spent so many years stuffing emotions down. So I allow myself yeah. to feel those emotions. Um, That's but awesome. I, uh, I don't allow myself to stay in those places. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like uh, I would, in the past, I would get angry and I would, um, I would stew for two, three days mm-hmm. and be in a bad mood for two, three days. Now I, I'll get angry and I, and I may rant and rave a little bit and, and I'm because I'm human but I, I come out of it much quicker, an hour, yeah. hour and a half. And I'm like, all right, I'm over it. You yeah, know, so it gets uncomfortable. Yeah. It, right? Like it gets uncomfortable to be in, stuck in those emotions. Like, yeah, I don't shake I it don't, off like a wet dog, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, like I, yeah, you just want to shake it off, you know? So, but in the beginning, I thought I, I thought I couldn't, I couldn't allow myself to feel any of that stuff. You know, I like, you know, and then I realized like, no, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have times when I'm angry. I'm gonna have times when I'm sad. I'm gonna have times when I'm feeling jealous of what this person has or is able to do. And I can't do like, I'm, I'm human. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think that's a big part of recovery too, is allowing yourself to be human and, mm-hmm. put, and putting the back down and not beating yourself up over every little thing. Yeah. You know, I know that's been a big part of what I've been working on too, you know? Okay. So I, I we let's, um, 
wrap things up. We've been talking a while and a lot of good, a lot of good stuff we've been talking about. And I really appreciate your time, Chris. I appreciate um, you having me. Thank you. Yeah. But if, so just the last question I want to ask before we wrap things up. Um, so you were obviously, if people didn't into it from the, uh, the past hour that you were a cop, you still are, you're a retired cop. Or do yes. I need to edit this out? No, 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 no. I, yeah, no, I, I spent 25 yeah. years, I retired and uh, uh, I guess I still am kind of part-time. Uh, part I, I was working at a school as a school resource officer before the pandemic Yeah. Okay, because in New Jersey, um, the schools will hire retired police officers to work in the schools. Yeah. So I was doing that for a few months and the pandemic hit. So I haven't done that, you know, since the pandemic hit, but I'll be going back to that in September. So, that's that's, awesome. so yeah. it's like, I'm kind of, I still have one foot in it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my question is regarding that is that, you know, police officers, they need to use, I think society, we look at them as like, they, they need to have a lot of, you know, show power and force and control um, to resolve situations and need to be tough. And so for you as a police officer to find recovery and to let go of control and be willing to, you know, give your power away. I know there's a lot of people who are like, I'm not joining it. I'm not getting involved. In, I want my power. Like I am powerful. I'm a warrior because I'm sober. Like what, what do you have anything you can say about that as being somebody like, so, so for example, if there, if there's a young guy who's a cop, who's struggling with alcohol, like what, what would you say to them about recovery? That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, in so many ways, what I, what I did for a living, you know, uh, working in law enforcement, it, you have to think differently than you have to think in recovery. So um, I've often wondered like how, if I was still working and, and doing that job, like, you know, really, and not, not the, like I said, the last few years I was in an office, but really out there on the street, like how would, how would I be with my recovery? I've always, I've kind of wondered that, like, you know, because you you, your, your mindset has to be, to keep you alive, you have to be suspicious of people. You mm -hmm. have to not trust people. You have to be on guard. And, and, and that's, you know, it's not even a, it, it is a, it's, you have to control situations because we're taught that if a situation gets out of control, that's when it could be dangerous and you could get hurt or killed. Mm -hmm. right. So you have to, you have to take control of, of the scene. You have to take control of the situation. So you're trained that you're trained to do that. And you're, it's drilled into you, you know, you have to always be in control of that scene because, and it's really just be, for safety reasons, you know, cause if it, if it gets out of control now, somebody could get hurt. So, right. um, you know, uh, so a lot of the thinking that you need to be successful in that line of work, um, just is so opposed to the thinking that we have in recovery. You know, it's just, um, it's completely opposite. And, um, you know, uh, what advice I would give to if there was a young police officer that was struggling with alcohol is, or, or, or anything is, is there's no shame in getting help. You know, there's no shame in getting help. And, and I guess that would be the kind of the broad message that I would have, you know, um, you know, you, uh, you know, it, 
the, the, the nature of that type of work definitely changes who you are and how you view the world and how you view people. It can't not, you know, um, uh, because you're exposed to really the horrible parts of humanity. So, mm. and after years and years of that, it's going to change you. And you don't even realize it's changing you as it is, uh, as it's happening. You know, it's for me at least, uh, it wasn't until I retired and got into recovery that I looked, I'm able to look back and realize how much that job and that line of work changed me. Um, you know, uh, I would just, uh, you know, there's, there's a, and it's becoming less and less, but in my, in that profession, the policing and law enforcement, there's always been a stigma that you don't ask for help. You, you know, you're the one that people ask for help. That is starting to change here in this country, you know, slowly, which is good. You know, uh, it's, people are starting to talk about the mental health uh, aspect of, of law enforcement and policing and, and, um, and that's a good, that's a good thing, obviously, but there's a long way to go. So, um, you know, I would, I would, my advice would be if anybody who is in that line of work, um, who is struggling with anything, there's no shame in, in, in getting help. It's, it's, it takes more courage to get help than it does to try to tough, you know, tough it out, quote unquote. I also see a therapist, you yeah. know, so like I, and I have no problem telling people that, you know, I, I see a therapist, which helps in addition to my yeah. recovery program. So That's know, awesome. uh, there's no, there's no shame in getting help. You know, it's the, the you know, it's a, it's a tough job and you see a lot and you're exposed to a lot and you're mm -hmm. only human. So. Um, well, I appreciate you saying that Chris, because, you know, time and time again, I will ask my um, guests or just people I'm just talking to randomly, like what, what would you, what kind of advice would you offer? The question I just asked you. And the answer is always the same. And it involves letting go of trying to figure things out yourself and asking for help. It's, it's the same answer, no matter what profession or field you're coming from. I'm always hearing the same exact thing. That is, this is a disease that it, it's no human power can really fully heal you. And this is no. my, my experience. No human power could heal me of, of what was ailing me. And I, um, and I needed support to get to a better place, um, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And so I appreciate you sharing that because really there is no shame, no shame in asking no. for help. No. And when you're younger, it's hard. It's hard. If you're, when you're in your, you know, it's hard to, to, to think like that. But I think, you know, for me, as I get older, you know, I, I realize that more and more, you know, I, I was obviously in my twenties, I was much more hard headed. And back then that sort of stuff wasn't talked about, you know, and, right. um, you know, but no, there's, there's not, it's, you know, like I said, I, and I, and I, and I'll say this again, you know, I had two, two good friends of mine who uh, I worked with who committed suicide, you know, and, uh, you know, and I can't, obviously I can't say who's an alcoholic and who's not, but um, they were big drinkers and I'll leave it at that. Okay. You know, one of them was, was, um, was drunk really drunk on a Sunday afternoon at the very time that he did it. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to anybody who's in, in that line of work and in, in, in my line of work in policing and law enforcement, you know, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen what happens, you know, when that disease takes you and, 
and when everything that you know the, the the job and the disease and all that stuff and 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 that macho attitude of feeling like you can't ask for help i i, I i've seen what can happen and it's tragic yeah so um yeah you know it in there, there's it's not easy to ask for help, but once you do, it's 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 like a whole weight's lifted, yeah. and I'm sure everybody feels like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for Thank taking you. the time today to share Thank your you. story. I appreciate coming on. Yeah, yeah I've heard so many great. of your podcasts, and uh, I've just been dragging my feet, like you said. You said it in a nicer way, but I'll say I was dragging my feet. You know, I'm coming on, but uh, <laughs> no, You're- I'm honored. I'm honored. Oh yeah, no. You're like famous, right? Oh God, just stop. (laughs) You're like famous. All right, here's where enter sarcasm. (laughs) I can't do, I can't do a whole, I I can't have a conversation without no sarcasm. (laughs) They they got a very sanitized version of me. You know that. (laughs) I do, I do. Okay, well you have an awesome day. What do you, are you planning on going out in the heat, in the humidity? Going for a run? Um, <laughs> no, I mean I walked the dog earlier. I no, it's so hot out. I may I may we just got a pool, so I may go in the pool a little bit, but then nice. uh, just get the kids from school and yeah. no, nah, not not much. Yeah. Not not too much today. So Oh good. But, well thank, thank you. you. For, yeah, it's been great. All right. Well, everyone, um <clears throat> everyone listening, I hope this uh conversation was something that gave you hope and inspiration that life is possible in sobriety, a happy life is possible in sobriety and it's worth it. As we just heard, if you want to, um, if you have any questions or concerns or comments or anything about this podcast episode, please, you can reach out to me at sobergratitudes at gmail.com or at the Instagram account, sober underscore gratitudes. And, um, Chris, I don't know. Are you open to giving out your Instagram handle, or is that? Yeah, you could. You could. Yeah, it's. Um, it's. I'll when, just put it in the show notes. Don't, I don't put know it in the what show it notes. is right now. Yeah, you can put it in there. Yeah, you can. I'll put in the show my, notes. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, great. So, All thank right, Chris. you, Sarah. Yeah, have a great and day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you to my guest and all of you for listening. I hope what you heard inspires you to look for and recognize the gifts of sobriety. Sober Gratitudes, a podcast dedicated to delivering messages of hope through true stories of recovery. A sober life is possible if you truly want it. Sober Gratitudes is a podcast dedicated to spreading the hope in recovery from addiction. It is an inclusive show that does not promote or represent any recovery program. When my guests and I discuss what keeps us sober, we are referring to our own unique experiences. Our goal is to encourage and give hope to those who are struggling and need support.